thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Good morning. My name is Ed Nall. I'm kind of new around here. I came on to the pastoral staff about a month ago, and it is my joy to uh, preach the word today. Tim is away in California visiting family, having a wonderful time, I am sure. Uh, the message today is on the sword of the Spirit, which is a continuation of our series uh, on the, the armor of God. The title of the message is No Empty Word, Your Very Life. So open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. We'll put it up on the screen. I want to read it with a special emphasis on the sword of the Spirit, which is in verse 17. My goal this morning is to kindle or rekindle a deep love for God's Word and everyone who hears this message. For those of you who love His Word, that you would love it even more. For those of you who find the Bible tedious, that you would see the Scriptures as the one true guide to joy in this life. And for those of you who don't believe in God, that you would hear God's revelation of Himself to you and begin to investigate the claims that God has about Himself for us in the Scriptures. So let's read it. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, this is from the English Standard Version. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as they ought to speak. Emile Calais was a French philosopher who eventually settled here in America and became a professor first at the University of Pennsylvania and then at Princeton. He had received a naturalistic, secular education, but had always felt that something was missing in his life. He came to think that what he needed was a book that would understand me. He was highly educated, but he knew of no such book. He determined to write one for himself. As he came across moving passages in his studies, he would copy them and index them into an anthology and a little leather book so that he could read these choice passages whenever he was despondent. The day came when he had finished writing his little book, 
And he went out of the small town in France in which he and his wife lived. He sat down under a tree to read the book that would understand him. He began reading with high expectations. But as he read, a feeling of disappointment came over him. The book did not work. And the reason it didn't work, as he then realized, was the book was of his own making. It carried no special strength of persuasion, no special authority. Dejected, he returned the book to his pocket. That same day, his wife came up to him, knowing his despondence, and handed him a Bible. He had never seen a Bible in his life, and his wife was almost afraid to give it to him because he had been insistent that they not have such a book in their home. But she had passed a small church that morning, and she had gone inside and asked the pastor if he had a French Bible that she could have. And he gave her a copy of the scriptures in French. Calais snatched it up and began to read in the Beatitudes. And here's what happened to him in his own words. I read and read and read, now aloud with indescribable warmth surging within. I could find no words to express my awe and wonder. Suddenly the realization dawned on me, this was the book that would understand me. I needed it so much, yet unaware, I had attempted to write my own book in vain. I continued to read deeply into the night, mostly in the Gospels, and lo and behold, as I looked through them, the one who spoke and acted in them became alive to me. To this God I prayed that night, and the God who answered was the same God who was spoken of in the book. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word, which is true. It is a light to our path. It leads us in the way of understanding. It has eternal significance. So I pray that uh, as I preach and as we listen together to your word, that you would move in our hearts to draw us closer to you, that you would teach us, Lord, that you would help us to understand, that you would incline our hearts to your testimony that you would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and help us to trust in you and your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Emile Calais discovered the Bible, the book that could understand and encourage him. And he came to know God as he read this book. I want you to listen carefully to what this church, Leesburg Community Church, believes about the Bible. That's from our statement of faith. We're going to put it up on the screen. The Bible is God's word to us. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. If this is true, and I believe with my whole heart that it is, then you and I should read the Bible regularly. So here are the things I want to touch on in today's sermon about the sword of the Spirit. No empty word, your very life. These five things. Read the Bible. Meditate on the Bible. Memorize portions of the Scripture. Delight in God's Word. And then use the sword of the Spirit in your daily life. That's where we're going this morning. 
The average person can read all 66 books of the Bible in about 70 hours. That's about 13 minutes a day. It's not a lot of time. You can read my favorite book of the Bible, Romans, in one hour. Or you can read the book of Ephesians in about 20 minutes. And if you would give 20 minutes to that, here is the encouragement that you would find about our lives lived through faith in the risen Christ as over against our lives lived without God. All of these truths are found in these six chapters, these 20 minutes of the scripture. We're going to put them up on the screen. Once we were dead in our sin, now we are alive in Christ by faith. Once we were under Satan's dominion, now we are seated in heavenly realms. Once we were objects of wrath, now we are part of God's glorious inheritance in the saints. Once we were separated from Christ, now we have been brought near. Once we were foreigners from his kingdom, now we are fellow citizens with Christ. Once we were alienated from God, now we are members of God's household. Once we did not know the gospel, all of us, now we understand the mystery of the gospel. Once we were infants in our thinking, now we are maturing in Christ. Once we lived in the old self, now we live in the new self. Once we walked in darkness, and now through Jesus we walk in the light. In just 20 minutes of Bible reading, all these things are presented to us, not as things that we must accomplish, but as things that Christ has accomplished for us. Not as works that we must do, but as works that God has done for us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So, we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, that's the Word of God, which is part of the armor that God supplies to all who trust in Him. So how important should this Word of God be to us? Why should we read it? Let's let Moses tell us why we should read it. You know, when people know they're going to die, they know that the end is near, they tend to speak about the things which matter most to them. So here's what Moses said to the people of Israel, Deuteronomy 32, just before he died. Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. So let's summarize it for ourselves right now in Northern Virginia. Take God's word to heart. Teach it to your children. It is not an empty word. It is your very life. And by this word, you shall live. You would think that a promise like that would cause us to dive into the Bible with great relish. But we don't. Less than 10% of Americans have read a substantial portion of the Bible. And many have only read, I think around 30%, have only read a few sentences from the Bible. The Bible is not just a book that understands me. It does that but it does so much more. It's the book that tells us about God and about the problem that we all have with sin, that we are separated from God by our sin. And it tells, about, tells us about Jesus, who is God's provision of life, forgiveness for sin. So it's important that we read God's Word. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. But 
How should we read it? What should be my attitude as I come to the Scriptures? Psalm 119 is the magnum opus about God's Word in the Scripture. 22 stanzas, each beginning with a word of the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza, eight verses long, 176 verses in total, and it's about the Word of God. It's wonderful. It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it will tell us what our attitude should be as we approach the Scriptures, but we're not going to read all 176 verses today. I highly recommend it, though. I'm going to read verses 33 through 37, and then we'll unpack those a little bit. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. This is a wonderful word. Let's unpack it. You could summarize these verses like this. Teach me, Lord. Give me understanding. Lead me in your path and give me life. Nine times in Psalm 119, the psalmist cries out, give me life. And it's always in conjunction with God's word. Do you ever read the Bible and you're not really getting much out of it? Perhaps you're checking off a box on a reading plan, maybe even rushing through it. Or perhaps you're reading and genuinely striving to get truth and instruction from the pages, but it just isn't happening. I have. Here's a word of encouragement and instruction. When that happens, repent. And then ask God to help you like the psalmist does. He makes five requests that have as their goal life. Abundant, more than you can ask or imagine life. First, he says, teach me, Lord. When we pick up this book, this should be our prayer. Teach me, Lord. If we're not getting anything out of our Bible reading, it's probably because we haven't asked God to teach us. We're trying to do it on our own. But when we read the Bible, we must have God as our instructor. He's the author. There is a spiritual communication taking place for which we need God's help. So first he says, teach me. And then he asks in verse 34 to give him understanding. When you pick up the scriptures and you read it, do you ask God to give you understanding? The psalmist does. Now think about this. The psalmist is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is actually writing scripture. And yet he says in this passage five different times, give me understanding. Give me understanding. And then he asks the Lord to lead him and to incline his heart to God's word and then to turn his eyes away from looking at worthless things. Only God can change hearts, and they need changing. We are prone to looking at and valuing things that have little or no value, and to devaluing that which is the most precious to us. But when we ask for God's help to teach us, to give us understanding, to lead us, that glorifies God by showing that we are dependent upon him who has all wisdom and all knowledge. And if your goal is to obey him when you read it with your whole heart, God will give you understanding because that prayer aligns with God's will. 
But not everybody who comes to Jesus wants to obey or understand. When the rich young man came to Jesus in Matthew 19, he asked what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus gave him six commandments, basically the second table of the law that he should follow. And the young man arrogantly said, I've kept all those since my youth. Jesus told him, one thing you still lack, sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Our understanding will be limited if we don't read the word or if we are distracted by our possessions or possessed by our possessions or if we are unwilling to obey what God reveals to us. So, we are to read God's word with God's help. That's step one. What can we add to that? We can meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's word. That'll take more than 13 minutes a day. But we can meditate on it. I used to meditate on God's word when I was driving a school bus for the last 18 months. I drove a school bus for the county, and I helped teach people how to drive school buses, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. I have, uh, I have three people here um, who helped me in that endeavor greatly, uh, Holly and Ingrid and Tammy and her husband, Sam, and I'm so pleased that you're here. Thanks for coming. Um, I meditated on God's Word as I drove. I didn't have anything else to do. What kind of... Yeah. What kind of fruit will meditating on God's word bring about? So let's take a look at Psalm 1, 1 through 3. We're going to put it up on the screen. These are wonderful words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now here's the result of his meditation. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. He meditates, he delights, and he prospers. I want to give an example of somebody who did this, somebody who meditated. Hudson Taylor was one of the greatest Christian missionaries who ever lived. Many would place him second only to the Apostle Paul in terms of his effectiveness and his reach. He was born in England, but spent the last 51 years of his life in China. He was directly responsible for bringing 800 missionaries to China and founding 825 schools. Thousands of Chinese people put their faith in Christ as a direct result of his ministry in China. How did he do this? Well, he read and he meditated on God's Word. That's how he did it. This next couple of paragraphs are written by people who traveled with Hudson Taylor over in China. It was not easy for Mr. Taylor to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital to his ministry. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month after month in northern China by ox cart and wheelbarrow, staying in the poorest of accommodations at night often with only one room for a large number of people, they would screen off a corner for Hudson with some curtains of some sort. Then after sleep at last brought some measure of quiet, 
they would hear a match strike and see the flicker of candlelight, which told them that Mr. Taylor, however weary he was from his travels, was poring over his Bible, which was always on hand. From 2 until 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to Bible reading and prayer, the time he could most be sure of being undisturbed so that he could wait upon God. How can you and I do something like this? Well, read your Bible, meditate on it, and I recommend praying with it open in front of you. And don't rush. Meditate on meaningful passages. I'll give you an example from the book of Ephesians. It's from the greeting that Paul gives us that I think is worthy of meditation. It's in a lot of his letters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You could spend a few minutes, even today, even tomorrow, meditating on that. The grace of God has come to us in the person of Christ. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, because he paid the penalty for our sin. This is not just a pro forma greeting by the Apostle Paul. It has meaning. All the words have meaning. Okay, so I'm to read, and I'm to meditate. Number three, memorize. Memorize parts of God's word. It has great benefit. Memorize the sword of the Spirit so you can use it at all times. If you're a soldier who's engaged in a great struggle, you don't want to go into battle with an empty scabbard. You want to have your sword. Here's what I mean. When life is hard, relationships are difficult, all kinds of bad things are happening in life, you may not have time to look up a verse so that you can apply it. You may not even know where the verse is. But if you have memorized some sections of the scripture, you can pull it out and use it. God can bring it to mind and you can use the sword of the Spirit. Let me give you two examples of people who gave amazing amounts of time to Bible memorization and the fruit that it bore in their lives. David Livingston was a pioneering medical to mission, missionary to Africa. He dedicated his life not only to the medical work, but to ending slavery in the British Empire during the mid-1800s. Livingston won a Bible from his Sunday school teacher by reciting all 176 verses of Psalm 119 from memory when he was nine years old. William Wilberforce, another leading light in abolishing slavery throughout the British Empire, it took them 50 years, but they did, wrote in his diary in 1819, 200 years ago, Walk today from Hyde Park Corner, repeating the 119th Psalm in great comfort. I think there is a direct correlation between Livingston and Wilberforce's knowledge and meditation and memorization of God's Word and the great things that they accomplished in God's service. I know for me that my life began to change when I saw God's Word as great treasure and I began to read, meditate, and memorize portions of the Bible. Our boys, two boys, Mason and Spencer, were raised in a program called Awana, where the students are encouraged to memorize God's Word. One year, the students, they caught on to the fact that they were memorizing Scripture and the leaders weren't. So they challenged us to memorize the second chapter of Ephesians, which we did. So my son Spencer and I memorized it together. 
we would often race to see who could say it the quickest. I don't recommend that. But that put me on a course to memorize